The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Help! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 355 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is a family caregiver's story of caring for FASD. Now, the World Health Organization in its 2014 publication, and it was titled Guidelines for the Identification and Management of Substance Use and Substance Use Disorders in Pregnancy, recognized FASD fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as a range of physical and brain-related developmental abnormalities attributed to the effects of alcohol on the unborn child. Now, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, and there are several of them, last a lifetime, have no cure. Though some medications and behavior therapy treatments may help, but there's no one treatment that's right for every child. Now, of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, the most serious is fetal alcohol syndrome. So that's abbreviated to FAS. And that may variously result in the death of the unborn child, growth of defects of brain, bones, face, and some organs, and challenges for learning and remembering, understanding and following directions, controlling emotions, communicating and socializing, feeding and bathing and other skills of daily life and coordinating action. All of which is why our topic, Family Caregivers' Story of Caring for FASD, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. Now to discuss it, our guest is Lyndon, Linda Rosenbaum. Linda's new book, Not Exactly as Planned, a Memoir of Adoption, Secrets, and Abiding Love was published in 2014. It's a memoir about of her family and the unexpected challenges of raising their son, Michael, adopted at birth, diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome at age six. Linda's been a freelance writer and editor for over 30 years and has written for major newspapers and magazines. The precursor to the book, Not Exactly as Planned, won the Canada Rights Reader's Choice Award in 2013 for creative nonfiction. Born in Detroit, Linda attended George Washington University in Washington, D.C. and moved to Canada in 1970. 
She earned a graduate degree in public health from the University of Toronto, worked for the City of Toronto's Public Health Department and the Ontario government's Ministry of Citizenship. Since her son's diagnosis, she's become an advocate for children with FASD and other special needs. So welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, Gordon. Now, my very first question for you is this. Please tell us more about your experience with family caregiving for an adopted child living with FASD or FAS. Linda? Thank you. Um, As you mentioned, Gordon, my husband and I adopted our first child, Michael, at birth. He had difficulties from the get-go, and we were really fortunate that we bonded the moment he was placed in our arms. But he was extremely sensitive to light, to sound and touch. He cried a lot. He wasn't growing. He wasn't sleeping well. He missed all kinds of developmental milestones. But the doctors were all telling us, including specialists, were all telling us there was nothing wrong and go home and relax, Mom, which was pretty disturbing. In my heart, I knew something was wrong, but no adoptive mother wants to think there's something wrong. Well, no mother wants to think there's really something wrong with their child. So life went on with great difficulty for six years, and by the time Michael hit public school, um, he was expelled in grade one. And I finally said to the pediatrician, it's time, I want an appointment at the hospital for sick children, I want to find out what's wrong with Michael. And sure enough, at age six, he was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. While it was a not happy diagnosis, to put it mildly, in some sense there was relief to understand, to know what was going on, and to feel that you can begin moving forward with interventions and strategies and, and moving forward in your life was very, very important to us. So Michael is now 26, and it's been a, a life filled with a lot of challenges, a lot of struggles, and a lot of joys. Michael's a wonderful young man, but he still needs some support, and um, we're still caregiving. Right. Now, Linda, please tell us about your book, Not Exactly As Planned. Linda, please. Yes. Um, Well, I think the title says a lot, not exactly as planned. Um, Like everyone, I I grew up having a lot of hopes and a lot of dreams about my future, and a lot of that had to do with family life and my children. And um, first of all, we wound up adopting children, uh, who we both love very much, but Michael came to us a, a damaged young person, and life really changed tremendously, and a lot of changes happened from there. But my book is a story, it's really about love and acceptance, and uh, it's filled with hope. And um, I I wanted to tell people about FASD to raise their awareness, because it's really not on the public's radar the way autism or Asperger's syndrome is. So I did want to raise awareness. But there's also another message in there. Um, I grew up in the 1960s believing, you know, we could change the world and fix everything that was broken. And with Michael, I realized that um, sometimes we have to accept a reality that's very different than what we had dreamed of and hoped for. And learning to accept and to love um, the person, the child, um, as he or she is, is a real challenge for us. And... um, I was lucky. I was able to find joy in my life, and it wasn't exactly as I planned my life to be. But, um, you know, there's a a story there of um, how we lead our lives with uh, 
love. So it's 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 got that motherly love part to it, and but it's also a memoir. It talks a lot about my life early on, and uh, hopefully, I think it's a really good story. There's lots of joy, lots of funny stuff in it, and I'm hoping it's just a really good read for people. And it's um, coming out. Um, yeah, it's it's published this year in 2014 from Demeter Press. Right. Now, still talking about the book, Linda, please tell us why you wrote the book and explain to us who you think should read it particularly sure. and why they should read it. Linda? Um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is the number one developmental disability in North America. Most people don't know this. And um, there's more people with FASD than any other developmental disability. It's also preventable. So one of the messages um, that to me was really important to get out to the public is that fetal alcohol syndrome, it exists. It creates tremendous problems for individuals, for their families, for society in general. And we need to know more about it. It's very underdiagnosed and it's misdiagnosed, and there's a lot of children walking around there with all kinds of problems who haven't been diagnosed with what they have, which is fetal alcohol syndrome. So I'm, I am hoping that families who are raising children with special needs will find comfort and solace and recognition of their own lives uh, in my book. I'm also hoping that professionals who work with the families of children who have FASD or other special needs, that they will better understand what the day-to-day -day struggles are that we face, the challenges that we face, and they will learn how to work with us better. Um, there's a lot of, as I said, misunderstanding, a lot of stereotypes about FASD, that the children are violent or they're aggressive or they don't have consciences. Um, there's a kind of mythology about FASD, and every child with FASD is different. It depends on how much of their brain was damaged, when the birth mother was drinking, what part of the brain was affected, and so on. So there's a lot for us to learn, um, and I'm hoping that everyone will read it. I think there's a story in there of, as I said before, love and hope and acceptance that's, um, well, I'm talking about my personal family. I do think it's universal to all caregivers. You mentioned um, that FASD isn't on the spectrum in the sense of people knowing what it is and understanding what it is and knowing what it involves in care and family caregiving. Is, then, is it right for me to say that one of the purposes of your book, one of the reasons why you wrote it is to help get FASD on that spectrum. Is that right? Linda? Yes, um, very much so. Um, it's it's a, a somewhat surprising to me um, why people know so much about Asperger's syndrome and autism and Down syndrome, but fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FAS. Um, it is really relatively unknown, and um, it's it's very it's it's very common, but because it's unknown, it's underdiagnosed, and there's um, and this, we're uh, we're underserviced. And I'm hoping through a good story, um, it's one step more about raising awareness 
about the disorder. Um, it, it's such a cost to society, to our economy, to families, to individuals. It, it really needs to be better understood. So I'm hoping the book will help do, do that. Now, in the sense of understanding, and we've only got a short time left on this particular segment, but in terms of the understanding, what is it that you really want to get across to people who are on the, not on the spectrum, so to speak? That is to say, they really have not enough information or understanding of what this disease actually is. What's, your, what's the core message there from you to them? Um, I, I think it's really important to see FASD as a spectrum as it is that each individual who has this brain damage caused by alcohol um, to the fetus, they're all different. And the problems manifest themselves as everything from learning disabilities to poor memory to attachment disorders, sensory problems, impulse control. And a lot of people are walking around with many of these symptoms. They've been undiagnosed. The families are having tremendous problems with the children. The children are suffering tremendously. And nobody understands what the problem is. And doctors are saying, your, your kid is fine. You're a bad parent. You're not strict enough. You've got to get this child to, you know, under a better routine. Um, you know, give me your child for a week, and I'll get this child's uh, life turned around. There... Is uh, there are a lot of um, young people there around with brain damage, and their problems and their behaviors are manifested um, in in ways because because their brain is effective. They're not willfully bad. They're not lazy. They're not bad people. They've got problems. They've got neurological problems that are making them be the way they are. Right. And we need more help diagnosing and servicing these people. That's quite a challenge. It is a now, challenge, yes. We're going to take the break uh, now. This, if I may say so, Linda, is what I always do say, which is where we have to pay the rent. Uh, <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Linda Rosenbaum. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you looking to get unstuck from the rut that has seemingly become your life? Move ahead by tuning in to Psychopedia, Life Principles to Help You Get Unstuck. Host Dr. Jeffrey Shaw and his guests will help with the encouragement you need to make that forward move. Guests include therapists, financial advisors, and more, as well as shared stories of hope from the listening audience. Psychopedia, life principles to help you get unstuck, can be heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Want to go to happy hour? No, it's not that kind of happy hour. It's better. Kick off your heels or loosen your necktie and join Liv and Kelly for the happiest hour of your day. Join them as they share tips, tools, and totally doable techniques to create more bliss in your everyday life. If you want more happiness in relationships, at work, and within, and you're ready to start living your dream life, tune in every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get what you want out of life and create more happiness. 
Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Linda Rosenbaum. Our topic is a family caregiver's story of caring for FASD. Now, Linda, let's talk about your experience of the challenges that FASD creates for children, young people, and family caregivers, and the happiness that is possible for them. So first question is, from your experience, and all of this is from your experience, what do you think are the most challenging of the challenges that FASD creates for children and young people? Linda? Um, You know, there's a lot of problems that they face. And as I said before, they're all different. In my son's case, he had, um, there's all kinds of um, other disorders that often go along with FASD. Some are obsessive, have obsessive compulsive disorder. Some have ADHD. Um, it, it, what they, they, the biggest challenge they face is for their parents and caregivers to understand what is really going on with them and addressing the specific problems. So many children are labeled bad and um, lazy and not trying hard enough and there's reasons, there's brain reasons for their, um, for them being the way they are. And finding people to, who, who are trained, who know how to work with them and to help them is a big challenge because most of them, and I can't speak for all of them, most of them with love, a strong family, um, a lot of advocacy on the part of the caregivers, many of them can go on to lead successful lives with, within limits. When I say successful, I mean lives that they can be comfortable with and they can be proud of. They can have achievements and, you know, le- learn to live in, in the world and feel good about themselves. But they need tremendous amount of support. They need tutors. They need teachers. They need counselors. They need therapists. They need all kinds of help. And that's a lot of work for the caregivers. So the, the children can't, they don't know what's wrong with them. They don't know why they're acting the way they are. They don't know what they need, and they don't know what kind of help needs to come their way. But I think that, um, so the, the challenges for the children are, are getting what they need, and they're not showing what they need. Many of them act out, they're frustrated, they're undisciplined, they have poor impulse control um, problems, they're distracted, they're disorganized. Um, but they, you know, they, they want to be good. They don't want to be like this. And very often, if you can get to the underlying reason why they're acting the way they are and addressing these underlying reasons, in our son's case, a tremendous amount of his um, 
bad behaviors were related to his um, attention deficit problems, and medication was enormously helpful for him. Without his ADD meds, he wouldn't have learned how to read or write because he couldn't focus. He wouldn't have been able to stand up long enough to, to hear the national anthem. He wouldn't have learned how to tie his shoes. Medication made a huge difference. But, of course, you've got to get the right med at the right dose, and that takes a doctor who will work with the child to, um, to find the right medication. There's also certain behavioral um, therapies now that seem to work better than others with uh, children with FASD. But most people aren't, most social service people aren't trained to work with these children, so they're not getting the right interventions. So I think the child's greatest challenge is getting what they need, and they can't really do that without parents and caregivers um, who can help find that for them. And again, that's not easy because those services aren't necessarily there. Right. Now, that takes me straight into the next question, which is, again, from your experience, what do you think are the most challenging of the challenges that FASD creates for family caregivers? Linda? Um, You know, I think the stresses of raising a child with special needs of any kind, and particularly FASD, the stresses are enormous on the individual, on the family, and on the marriage. And I think um, keeping the family together, keeping the marriage strong, if, if the couple, if the person raising the child are a married couple, trying to keep your own lives together um, while raising this child, this is incredibly difficult. And to do that, I think you need supportive people around you, supportive family, and that's not easy to come by because very often uh, family members don't understand FASD. They think you have a bad child, that you're not raising that child well. You get a lot of criticism for the way you're raising the child because our children are not necessarily cuddly. They're not easy. They, they're difficult children. So also if you have other children in the family, making sure that they don't get lost in the shuffle. I think that's really important to make sure that the other children and family are getting the care that they need. So I think that's really essential. My understanding is that um, marriages uh, where uh, couples who are raising children with special needs, the divorce rate is extremely high, higher than uh, the general population. And I really understand that. Um, You know, life is very tough on a day-to-day basis. You argue about whether you should do this with the child. You have differences of opinions. The stresses are enormous. You can't take vacations. You don't get enough respite. You're not taking care of yourself. All your attention is going to your child. Um, These are really hard on individuals and uh, caregivers of all kinds. So I think that's a huge problem. And then finding the kinds of supports and services that you need. This is really hard, and you need a lot of supports. And for some families, this can be expensive. You could use, very often it's helpful to have tutors to help your child in school. There's special needs camps that can be very helpful for the children. Uh, Having people come into the home to help you with the child uh, after school hours can be really important. This can be an incredible financial burden for families. And um, then if you can find supports, they're not necessarily supports that are directed specifically to helping children with FASD because 
as I said before, it's just it's not really understood uh, that well. And a lot of people think that you've just got some tough kid here who's willfully being bad or lazy or not motivated and just, you know, just push harder and be stricter. And that really doesn't work with these kids. They get angry. They get frustrated because they can't do what you're asking them to do. And uh, this, is, this is a real challenge. Right. Now, I want to go in the opposite direction. You've mentioned this several times, but there is a happiness. There is a satisfaction that can be achieved. There is hope that can be achieved. So please, from your experience once more, please describe the happiness that is possible for young people living with FASD and for their family caregivers. Linda? Well, I think love and acceptance go a long way with that when you're raising a child with FASD. Now, I'm no Pollyanna. I know there are a lot of families out there where they love their children to pieces and they still don't have control over their children. The children have continual problems that make life difficult for the family members and difficult for themselves. So I know that love doesn't heal everything. But... From what I've seen very, very often, a strong family, a united family, a loving family can provide the structure and the stability uh, that these these children need. Um, they also need a lot of advocacy and help to be the people that they can become. And from what I've seen in our, our own family, um, Michael, our son dropped out of school in grade nine, and this was a terrible disappointment to him, to us. It was very sad. He wasn't able to keep jobs. Um, he just couldn't function in the world very well. In recent years, Michael has um, become a wood carver. He was always whittling. We always saw him with uh, pieces of wood, and he'd want a little knife, and was always just sort of whittling away at it. And my husband started taking wood carving classes with him. And Michael's become an absolutely wonderful wood carver, and it's brought him an incredible sense of success. With, you know, within his own world, it's brought him confidence. He has something to talk to people about. He can show people his wood carvings. People are buying the things that he's been making, and this is this is a wonderful thing in Michael's life. And we're incredibly proud of him. Now, does it fill the expectations that may we may have once had for a child? Um, no, we would have liked him to finish school. We may have liked other things for him. But learning to accept your child for who he or she is, I think, is a very big key to happiness or accepting reality and just finding peace in your life. Uh, Michael has a half-brother who um, also has FAS, and he's become a wonderful guitar player and songwriter. And he's very, very talented, and he's very proud of himself, and he gets a lot of um, acclaim and appreciation for his abilities. Many people with FASD are very, very creative. Um, and Michael's half-brother does also have problems functioning in the world on a day-to-day -day basis, but he's found his gift. And I think if we can help the children find their gifts, and do I know if everybody has a gift? I'm not sure of that, but it seems to me like most of us have some gift 
And if we can help these children find this gift, um, it's a way of bringing them uh, confidence, some joy, and, you know, you use the word happiness, perhaps happiness and contentment in their life. They can feel good about themselves, and they have a real reason to feel good about themselves. And as a parent, I can tell you, I'm just um, thrilled with Michael and his wood carving. It's made a huge difference in his life. Just a very quick comment back to you. That's a recovery. That is to say, things have changed in such a way that he has achievement. He has that sense of being able to do something which other people respect. And that means that he's moved on from the point at which people regarded him, and forgive me for saying this, uh, as really having all problems and nothing much else. Now he's shown that he has skill, just in the same way that his half-brother has, and you and they are rejoicing in these things together. Is that right? Yes, I think you've said that really, really well, Gordon. Um, I think that's absolutely true. But, you know, it was a long time in the making. Michael's 26 now, and it took a lot of years till we helped him get on his feet. A lot of advocacy, a lot of work. But, I, you know, listen, we, we love our children, and we devote our lives to trying to help them. And if we're lucky, um, they can find these gifts that you talk about. And the respect from other people... Uh, getting respect from other people is enormous for them. I can just see Michael, he's so proud of himself. Um, and th- th- this is the best I can ask, really. Yeah. Yes, it is. It mm-hmm. absolutely is. And in the sense that it's the best, the very best that you can ask, not in any negative way, but in a very positive way, in that he is creating art, and the art he creates will outlive all of you. <laughs> That's a wonderful way of looking at it. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. He creates these absolutely wonderful carvings. They're all of animals, and there's this wonderful spirit that comes through in these animals. People comment <laughs> yes. about it, you know, like if it's a bear, it's, it's a, a bear with a wonderful spirit coming through. So, yes, indeed. <laughs> right. Now, we've come to the time when we're going to have to take the break, so we'll do that now. Sure. This is Dr. Gordon Adley. My guest is Linda Rosenbaum. You're listening to Family Care. Givers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You have the power within to achieve anything, be it wealth, balance in your life, getting over your fears and roadblocks, and creating a positive impact on the world. Let Darby Mack show you how on the powerful, passionate, prosperous woman show. Darby will bring you the tools and tips that you need to make it all happen with engaging guests and topics that will help you make your dreams come true. The Powerful, Passionate, Prosperous Woman Show is heard live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. You may know how to make money, but do you know how to manage it and make it work for you? That's where the Financial You Radio Show comes in. 
Host Annette Rayner and her guests will show you how to keep your financial future in check. Money matters in just about every part of your life. Doesn't matter if you work for a Fortune 500 company or the neighborhood store. Your financial goals can be realized. Listen for The Financial You every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel because your money matters. Every one of us confronts challenges that rock our world to the core, making us confused and disoriented, not knowing which way is up. On The Mother Rising, host Margaret Jacobson will nourish that spark that enlivens. You will be both empowered and inspired to create the changes leading you on your path to your own true freedom. Discover your worth and what you are capable of. Tune into The Mother Rising every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Linda Rosenbaum. Our topic is a family caregiver's story of caring for FASD. Linda, now let's talk about support for children, young people and family caregivers confronting the challenges, a lot of them that you've highlighted. So first question is, what do you see as the most effective types of support for children and young people who are confronting the challenges, the key challenges that you've identified that FASD creates. Linda? Yes. Um, there's a lot more knowledge today about FASD than when my son was young. A lot of research and a lot of experimentation with different strategies and therapies and so on. And I think there's a greater appreciation that the behaviors manifested by many of the young people with FASD, they're brain-based, they're neurologically based, and the children aren't necessarily willfully doing things bad or wrong. They very often don't understand things. They can't follow directions because they don't understand them. They can't remember what you told them to do. And there's a pioneer in the field of uh, FASD, a, a woman named Diane Melbourne, and she wrote a book where she talks about don't keep trying harder, try differently, and don't keep, don't be, you know, pushed by being more strict and harder on them and pushing too hard. You've got to be creative and try to find out what are the ways to reach the children. And there are a lot of people in Canada now being trained. Um, I say a lot of people. There's not enough training. But there are people training teachers how to work with children with FASD and social service workers how to work with uh, children with FASD. 
And um, I think it's really important. Um, I know that when Michael was young and in school, the teachers were always saying to him, Michael, you're so smart, you just have to try harder. Um, Michael, you're being lazy. You can do that. Or, Michael, you know, there's no reason you're stopping yourself from doing this. Well, the truth is, Michael seems a lot smarter than he is. He's not, he wasn't capable of doing the things that we were all pushing him to do. And in the end, he just wound up shutting down, and he just wouldn't go back to school anymore. I don't think we were able to appreciate that he wasn't doing the things that he wasn't doing. It was because he couldn't do them. And my feeling is that lazy, which is a term that's often used, um, there's usually an underlying reason why people are so-called lazy. If they could do it, they would be doing it. Um, there's, some, there's something keeping them back. And um, I, I think we need to see that these children have a problem rather, rather than being the problem. So supports that help them um, identify what the problems are and working with them to, to find ways to, to improve their behaviors or to understand what's going on. I know Michael was bullied tremendously in school because uh, he was different than other kids. He was in his own world. He wasn't socializing the way other kids were. Well, they made fun of him, and Michael was like a, as if he was a caged animal. He just fought back. That was the only way he knew how to survive. He became very defensive, and he fought back. Well, he got labeled a very bad, aggressive child, and he was aggressive, and he was what we would call bad. But we didn't understand, and the school certainly didn't understand, that it was a responsive behavior to what was happening around him, and that when he was treated badly, yes, he would throw stones back at other children. And there were times when he would get up in the classroom and walk around without permission. It was because he couldn't sit still. His ADD wasn't um, dealt with yet and hadn't been diagnosed or he wasn't following a teacher's instructions. It was because he couldn't remember after he did the first thing if the instructions had three different parts to it. By the time he accomplished the first part, he couldn't remember what two and three were. Um, so really getting to understand and know these kids are, are really is really important. And um, I keep reading a, a very positive, nice stories about uh, children who have been identified in recent years and have had intervention strategies that were appropriate to their needs. Uh, I've read about children doing very, very nicely in school and uh, in jobs. Very often they need support in jobs because they can't remember everything they have to do. But with help, um, many of them, and I can't say all, many of them can do really, really well. Right. Now, that takes me to the same question, but this time it's, what do you see as the most effective types of supports for family caregivers who are <laughs> confronting these challenges? Linda? I'm, I'm laughing here because there's so many supports we could use, but I'll tell you one thing that, that really comes to mind immediately. I think we could use um, some appreciation and respect. Um, in my experience, um, especially when Michael was young and before he was um, diagnosed, there were a lot of people who were very critical of my parenting and my husband's parenting, and um, it was very, very hard on us. Um, 
we loved our son with all our heart, and we were doing everything that we thought we could. We could tell Michael was different than other children. So, right, we weren't enforcing bedtime rules exactly the same way that the how-to books tell you to, or we weren't coming down on him as hard as for what he was doing as somebody else might think we should do. And people were criticizing us very often. They were telling us, you should do this, you should do that. I think respect is really important. When, when people have children that are difficult, um, if you don't really know what you're talking about, I don't think you should be saying things to, to parents until, you know, you walk in our shoes. So I think um, respect is really important and compassion for, you know, the lives, the challenges that we face on a, a day-to-day basis. Now, once we have that, we also need all these services, um, and they are hard to come by. They can be expensive. And, and, in fact, many of them just don't exist. I mean, even to this day, Michael's 26. We still need supports for Michael. And there are more and more supports for uh, children with FASD. Um, but, you know, he's 26. He's at sort of, when he hit 18, all of a sudden the services no longer existed. Um, so we need... You know, the the province, I, I think um, provincially in terms of, of governments, several provinces in Canada have um, specific FAS, uh, specific strategies for intervention, uh, FASD intervention and services. I think the government uh, has to really look at FASD very closely. It costs the... Um, country an enormous amount uh, in support money. It's a preventable disorder, so um, we can do something to stop FASD, but it does exist, and a lot of services are yet to be provided. So we need, we need, we need more people out there to know about FASD. It's also underdiagnosed, and there are many, many children and probably adults walking around with FASD who have never been diagnosed. They're labeled bad kids. They're in and out of the court system. They're in and out of prisons. You know, they're in and out of social services. They're underachieving. And they're also suffering, and their families are suffering. And um, I, I think this could be addressed by greater awareness and greater supports uh, in our society. Because right. it's costing our society. It's not just the individuals that are suffering. All right. Now... Unfortunately, I have to interrupt you because we've got the third question and time presses, but this is something different. What do you see as the role of spirituality in whatever way you define it in support of young people and in support of their family caregivers confronting the challenges Mm -hmm. that FASD creates? Linda? Yes. um, Well, as you say, I think spirituality can be defined any way a person chooses to define it, but I think in my concept, spirituality can be a major contributor to stability of the family unit, and um, that could be through religious practice, that could be through family rituals, it could just be through the way love is manifested in a family. I think um, all of this, the love, religion, spirituality, it can give foundation and structure, predictability, to the family and to the child, and I think all of this is very, very helpful for someone with FASD. I also think it can give the caregivers tremendous support and comfort, too. 
Um, in, in our family, um, we, we raised um, Michael Jewish. It's, it's funny because my husband's last name is Christmas, and he's obviously not Jewish, but um, we decided that we would follow my religion and raise uh, our children Jewish. And I always dreamed that one day Michael would have a, a bar mitzvah, the coming-of-age ritual, when he's 13. But it's a very demanding kind of exercise. It demands a lot of study of sacred tests and performance and memorization and study and um, just to become a boy's bar mitzvah is a lot of hard work. And Michael really didn't show any potential for this. But we decided we were going to give it a try. And Michael went to a special needs Sunday school, and with the tremendous help of wonderful teachers and a principal of the special needs Sunday school, Michael went through the training to be bar mitzvahed. And it actually happened. We didn't know until the, the moment he sort of stepped up um, onto the, um, at the altar of the, the synagogue and began chanting his prayers. We didn't know if he was really going to perform or, or run away, to tell you the truth. But when he started to chant and do his prayers and, and so on, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was an incredible moment for Michael, for our, us, our family, our friends, people who were in the congregation. And this was the first time in Michael's life that he accomplished something major in front of other people and for himself. He felt great. It was just a wonderful moment in Michael's life. Um, and, you know, that, that came because my husband and I felt that some kind of spiritual, ritualistic um, commitment was really an important foundation in our family, and I think it gave Michael a tremendous amount. Uh, he's not a practicing Jewish person now. He has his own beliefs, and he sort of manifests his spirituality in his own way. But this was a wonderful moment for Michael, and it, it came because as a family we decided this was something important, and Michael really rose to the occasion. It was quite an astounding moment in our family's life. And it's one that you'll remember forever, isn't it? Absolutely. We've got the pictures up all over the house. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> we've come to the time to take the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Linda Rosenbaum. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com There are 13 unbreakable habits of truly enlightened people. These life-changing habits are discussed on Dream the Life, Live the Dream with Dr. Yomi Garnett. We'll offer an excursion in self-discovery along with wisdom that will allow you to stay on the correct path toward your destiny. You can find excellence in your life. Tune in every Thursday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, that's 10 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for this exciting transformational journey. Like so many others, do you put on a game face to the world? The stress of home life, work life, and personal life converge on us on practically a daily basis. Yet, so rarely do we let others see our real selves. And we carry on like we don't have a single problem. We need to connect and to find out we're not alone. 
Tune into Stories from the Heart of Leadership with host Shamin Sadek to find out not only what's been created, but the story behind it. Listen live every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Linda Rosenbaum. Our topic is a family caregiver's story of caring for FASD. Linda, now let's talk about what more you would like to do and you would like to see done to improve support for children, young people and family caregivers confronting FASD related challenges. So first question for you, what more would you like to do? And you means you and your family to support children and young people. Yeah, well, good question. You know, the truth is um, we're still raising and supporting Michael. And in terms of what I would like to do and my family would like to do, we're still in the role of being advocates for our son, trying to get uh, better services and supports for him. And that's that's still an ongoing challenge. There's housing problems, um, there's uh, support worker problems, there's lack of recreational opportunities, social opportunities um, that, that, you know, that we still need in our family's life. And I think we will continue to need services, and, and you know, th- this is a challenge. But the greatest challenge beyond our own family is um, trying to, it, in, in terms of trying to get these services, um, we need people to be more aware of, of the cost of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder on the individual, on the families, and on society. And I know I've said this before, and I, I hate to keep harping on it, but for some reason, the FASD lobby just isn't, hasn't been strong enough, their voices haven't been loud enough, and they just haven't been heard the way the parental or family lobby, whatever, for some of the other developmental disabilities. And this is the, the leading cause of developmental disability in North America, and I don't think people have a clue about that. Um, but saying that, there are people who have devoted their lives to, to trying to improve awareness and improve services. And, you know, some cases they've hit their head up against the wall, and in some cases they've been very successful. We have a lot more um, in terms of services and interventions than we ever had before. But it, it's it's really still not enough. Um, these children can contribute to society. Um, most of them have futures that that can be very positive, and everyone will benefit from it. Um, but as I said, we're, we're not there. I, I, you know, my son, as I said, is twenty six, and we're still in need of help. And we, you know, we work hard. It's not that we're looking for other people. Um, 
to do the work that we should be doing as parents. There are things that we can't do alone, that we need help, yeah. and we'll do everything that we can for him. But, you know, we're part of a community, something larger than ourselves, and, um, you know, we need to take care of those people who need to be taken care of, and it's a, it's I, a hard job. Now, to do that, and I'm going into my next question to you, is to do those things, to provide more help, what would you like to say done and by whom to make the services available where they're needed in the way you've been talking about, right. basically bring more and better help where it's needed. So who should do that, that lobbying, as you spoke? Right. Well, I mean, I think parents obviously ha have to lobby, but I'll tell you, parents are exhausted just uh, doing the day-to-day -day work that they have to do. But, you know, pa parents have to speak up and they have to shout and they have to push and they have to work hard. But... Um, we need the help of social service people. We need the help of people in the justice system. We need the help of children's aid. And I think to, to make all of this happen, we need commitment at a governmental level to develop a very specific <clears throat> FASD policy, uh, policy towards uh, strategies for prevention and intervention. There are there's a lot of programs going on here and there and helter-skelter. Some are good, some are bad. There's no evaluation. There's just no coordinated effort. There may be something in Kitchener while there's nothing in North Bay. It's just there's nothing coordinated. Uh, several provinces uh, in Canada have very specific government policies on how they are going to approach the issue of FASD. And I think, I live in Ontario, I think it's really important that Ontario put one in place. And there are organizations that have come up with very specific recommendations what the government needs to do to address the prevention and intervention strategies for FASD. And I think the government needs to really look seriously at this. And I know there's, there's always a question of cost, but I'll tell you, the cost for keeping Many of these children in institutionalized care, providing services, um, you know, foster care. There's just enormous expenses for these children, and um, the money should be well spent, and it should be coordinated, and it should go to strategies that really work. And if we're going to do uh, prevention, you know, I think it also, there, there needs to be a coordinated strategy. In Ontario, the LCBO has... Um, which is our, you know, liquor control board. They've taken a an advertising campaign to try to prevent um, people who are pregnant from drinking. You know, any anything helps. Um, right. But I don't think we can leave it to the private sector. Right. Perfectly fair. Now, this is the very last question for you, and it's a little bit different. What's your message for family caregivers who've recently learned that the child they are caring for mm -hmm. may have to live? with FASD. What's your right. message for them? Yes, that can be a very disheartening uh, message to, uh, fam to, to family members, caregivers. I think um, it's important to remember that every, like, every child is different and every child with FASD is different. So it's important to identify as early as you can what may be behind some of the difficult behaviors that you're seeing with your child. Perhaps the child is highly sensitive to noise, sound, or light. That's why he or she is acting out or crying all the time. Maybe the child has learning disabilities. Maybe the child has ADD. 
maybe they're socially awkward, so they withdraw or they're aggressive with other children because they can't understand them and can't work well with them. Maybe they're constantly frustrated because they can't do what they want to do and they're failing at everything that they can do. So getting to know your child and what's behind their behaviors, I think, is really important. And then you've got another job, which is trying to find services and supports to help you um, deal deal with these issues and, and problems because you can't do everything yourself. So that's all difficult, and I'm saying, you know, you need to be an advocate for your child, and that's not easy either. Um, I think it's important not to listen to people who don't know anything about FASD and, and take advice and get support from people who do know something about it. And do not surround yourself with people who aren't helpful or loving or, or compassionate because they can be really harmful to you, and I think that's important. Um, and I think it's really important to take care of your own selves while you're raising your children. You've got to be your own caregiver. Right. And it's because it can, it can be very hard on a couple. It can be hard on individuals who are raising. Uh, if it's a single-parent family, it's really hard on couples. And you need to keep yourself strong, and you need to keep your family unit strong. Um, and I think that's um, really important. And your child yep. needs you to be strong as much as you need to be strong for your own self. I also think hope. Linda, I'm going is to have important. to stop you there because we're running out of time. But that was a very powerful point you were <laughs> yes. making. Look after yourselves. Yes. Part of the duty to your child. Yes, I think absolutely. Okay. Now I want to say thank you, Linda, and. For all the things you've told us about your experience, your insights, your advice, and obviously, I wish you every success as a family in continuing with your family support. I wish you every success with your book, and I hope that um, we will find a way to bring the um, people, the family caregivers of FASD together so that their voices are heard at the political level. I want to thank you to our listeners, say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. Our next episode will be a man as a family caregiver for an all-male family. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.